Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest. Today's show is an extract of a larger conversation that I had with my dear friend Robert Helms earlier this week. All the way from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show, Robert Helms. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Victor. Good to see you. And thanks for the invitation. Great to have you here. Now, Robert, we're going to talk a whole pile about a bunch of different topics tonight. But before we do, maybe give a little bit of your backstory. You come from a real estate family, so it's kind of in your blood. We'll start there. You know, Brian Tracy says, whatever you're interested in doing between the ages of seven and 14 can give you insight into kind of your life's calling. And my favorite thing to do when I was young was play Monopoly. So I kind of think that that's what I do now for a living. But my dad was in real estate and investor first. And then he decided he would quit his electronics job so we could sell real estate and uh, become a complete real estate entrepreneur. And uh, you knew my dad. He was an amazing guy. He really inspired me. Now, you know, I grew up in a household with a sister who has no interest in real estate, even though she did sell her house and pocket a million dollars in equity. She, you know, just did that by accident. And so I got a lot more strategic about it. And the first commission I made, I bought a two unit property and I lived in one half and rented the other. And then I just started collecting properties and and kind of have a look back. I love that. And yeah, I mean, it's too it's sad that your dad's no longer with us. You, your dad ran what was it, the 25th largest Century 21 brokerage in the country? Yeah, it was an interesting story. We were part of a company called Contempo Realty and we were acquired by the parent company of Century 21. So our business card didn't say each office owned and operated independently because we were part of the mothership and then Without moving buildings, our brokers, our ownership, we became a global banker. So I had uh, kind of experience under under both brands, plus our our boutique brand, all of that with the, the same group of people in the same building. And it was just learning the difference between being an independent agent in this case, or being part of a big company. And there's certainly pros and cons of both, but I uh, loved real estate, still love real estate after 18 years of selling it. I decided uh, I had enough of that. So I no longer am licensed happily. I don't do anything that requires a real estate license. And so today I just invest and, and develop and syndicate and love love all those things. There's no wrong answer here. You were originally in Silicon Valley. You had a huge meetup there, times 700,000 people showing up. And, and then you started the Real Estate Guys radio show. Yeah, so we're now in our 25th year of broadcast. I guess my official bio is that uh, I've been a real estate investor for a long time. The radio show started uh, on a local station and then became syndicated and different use of the same exact word. And we little by little started gaining stations. And then all of a sudden, podcasting started and our original executive at the radio station we were at said, hey, I started podcasting your show. I'm like, and that means what to me? Because well, we strip out some of the commercials and we, you know, play the show and it's it's mostly, you know, music and there's not a big audience for it, but people think it might catch on. So we were one of the early real estate podcasts. And now, you know, listeners of more than 190 countries, and it's crazy how that part uh, has really, really taken off. You know, my partner Russ and I, two guys with two microphones and a suitcase, and and here we are. Now you've taken on a project. And I think let's use it as as an example, as a case study, because this is a project, you know, often when people start projects, they think, okay, a six month project or a, maybe a two year project, you're, you're into this one a decade or more. And did you think it would be that long when you went into it? Well, no, we knew it would be a long-term project. 
and I'll share a little bit about it so people kind of get the the context, but it was a, it was an evolving picture. So vision is critical. Without vision, the people perish. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish. And it is your job as the promoter, the syndicator, the band leader, the executive producer to have that vision. But just like a business plan for a company, it's amazing how many times, you know, you interview a CEO and they talk about their business plan. They're like, yeah, we wrote this great business plan. Of course, our business looks nothing like that today. Well, yeah, because everything changes every day. So we started out, we found a market and a property, and we had this idea based on what the market was giving us and telling us that we thought the market needed. And it did need that. And our original you know, aspiration was fairly modest. I mean, by our standards, we had done some projects. So some people might think that a 60-room hotel is a big project, but thus that was kind of a toe in the water. And that's where we started. That was the idea. We're right across the street from one of the most popular hotels that is always, always full, has been for 15 years, over 90% occupied. They don't really want to expand, even though they might have a little room to do so. And we thought, man, we kept seeing them, you know, sold out, sold out, sold out. They do weddings and not all the people attending the wedding that stay at the hotel were like, man, we're right across the street. We could build, you know, an overflow hotel. We could just have space where people could stay, be close and, and just kind of, you know, be synergistic with that property, which we are to this day. But it, it kind of grew, you know, uh, a mind of its own in many ways. But what happens is what we've been talking about. As the market hands you new information, you have to bob and change. So today... We're the single largest hotel by room count in the country. Now, it's not a big country, but still, that's not how we started, but that's what's happened. And boy, have there been all kinds of lessons, including the ones we're talking about, which are the mental lessons. Like, that's just daunting and overwhelming. But it's not once you're, you know, hitting your stride and once you're in the hunt. When, uh, and I've visited Mahogany Bay Village several times. It's extraordinary. When you're developing a project of that nature i mean there's there's no blueprint you didn't this was not a paint by numbers project this was a creation that was really purpose built for that piece of dirt you couldn't pick it up and drop that same thing somewhere else anywhere in the world you, you just couldn't how did you how'd you get there well, I believe that in real estate, and you'll hear this on our show, it uh, starts in, not just in syndication, but in real estate investing with what we call your personal investment philosophy. That's who you are as an investor, what matters to you. After that, you have to find a market or marketplaces that will deliver the kind of projects and returns and risk that your personal investment philosophy dictates. Once you find a market or markets, now you got to find a team, put together your team of brokers and uh, CPAs and just all the people that you need, you know, if it's construction, whatever that is. And once you have the property management, once you have your team, then you find a property. And I think what people get wrong is they go buy a property. They didn't give a lot of thought to the team that was going to manage the property, you know, nothing worse than bringing a house or a, a small apartment building or a large apartment building to a property manager and go, Hey, I bought this with you management. And they look and go, Oh, why'd you buy that? Much better to talk to the property manager first. Here's a world-class question to a property manager. Mr. Property Manager, what can I put in your portfolio that will make you and I successful? Before you buy anything, find out where the demand is. So we went into the market, and this is the, uh, the country of Belize. And Belize is a small country in Central America that's also one of the 33 member nations of the Caribbean Tourism Organization. So it feels more like a Caribbean country than a Central American country. But it's the only country in Latin America that has uh, English as its official language. So it had a lot of reasons to like the market. We studied it for two years before we did anything. So back to being patient, right? 
I'm usually the kind of guy that wants to fire first and then try to figure out the aim. But in this case, we watched, we'd already been in a couple of international markets and, and, you know, we're looking for a, a new home, if you will, a new home away from home. And we found Belize and we found this opportunity and we had never done hospitality. We'd done all commercial development and almost all residential investing. So my portfolio today is still mostly residential, obviously not some commercial, but mostly residential. And when I'm using residential here, I would mean apartments and so forth, where people live in the property, not the, not the financing definition. But this was what the market needed. And so just to give you a little uh, pictorial here, this is Ambergris Key, Belize, which is an island that's 24 miles long and three miles across. Canadians came here long before Americans did. So we got great Canadians that come visit and have developed and so forth. Mahogany Bay Village is down at the bottom of the island. And you see this little series of canals. This is what the property looked like before we got there. Eight streets and canals on either side. So to the front of the picture, that's the property with the the on the right-hand side with the blue roofs, not the ones right in the middle of the blue roofs. That's Victoria House. That's the project I was talking about that we're across the street from. And uh, that's the sunrise side. And we're over on the back in the lagoon. And what do you do with that? But to your point, Victor, that was already out of the ground. So we looked and we decided that the market needed a lot of overnight rentals because it was very expensive to stay there. And as more people were moving there, the market also needed places for people to live or retire. A lot of people want to retire in the Caribbean and the sunshine, uh, lower cost of living, that kind of thing. And so that's what we set out to do. And our inspiration, our vision was British colonial architecture. So we wanted this to look and feel because Belize was British Honduras and that was, was its legacy and background. And that was kind of the vision, what you're seeing or the, the way the property was just destined to look. And here's how the units actually came out. So it's pretty close to that, I think. If you were to go there today, you'd see we have this beautiful main gate. And you see that today we're a curio collection by Hilton and part of the coastal living inspired residences. But it didn't start that way. It started about eight years ago. This was uh, one of the first days of construction out in the rain. Doesn't look like much yet. But over time, we started little by little to build these cottages. It's not a big multi-story hotel. It's a distributed hotel, if you will, with the individual units. There's the first dozen or so units on the ground, still not looking like a whole lot, but lo and behold, we would sell before we build. We still do that today. It takes a lot of risk out of the project and sales are strong and people wanted to build. And this is long before we opened it as a hotel. This is just a construction site. But when you're trying to build a world-class hotel, you got a lot of runway and a lot to think about. As we got better at it, we continued to sell and continued to build. And it became kind of this big thing. The building you see in the left to the middle is called our Great House. It's a 23,000 square foot building that today houses our lobby and restaurant and all our convention space and our speakeasy and a bunch of cool stuff. And then right before we opened, well, I I guess this is still a year before we opened, more units on the ground. And uh, here we were open as a hotel with 105 units. Today, we have nearly 200 units that are open, another 50 that are under construction right now. You can see the great house kind of in the middle there and the big bay club pool next to that. And uh, so that's our quick tour of Mahogany Bay Resort and Beach Club Curio by Hilton. Now, this particular project, you didn't really have the infrastructure locally to build this this entire complex. The story around how that got put together, I mean, you, you didn't have to just 
pull the money together and boom, there was a hotel. You had to do everything. Well, like, we had absolutely hope, you everything. know, we went to the market and Beth is all ears trying to understand who's here. Resources are available. What kind of teams are in place? We found out that Belize has some extraordinary craftsmen when it comes to wood, especially because they've been building and they're still a net exporter of hardwoods and softwoods. And they've been building with wood for a hundred years there. So rather than build with concrete and steel, even though our big great house is built that way, it's wrapped in wood. So you wouldn't be able to see that. We decided to take a page out of the Belize playbook and find out what Belize was great at. And so more than 90% of every building that we have is sourced with materials that come from Belize, which is a big win for a lot of reasons. But we wanted to hire a general contractor. We interviewed anybody of substance. And there's a couple general contractors that have crews that you know ebb and flow, but hover around 200, 300 people. And just nobody could do what we needed to have done. So we ended up self-contracting, bringing on a director of construction with 50 years of experience and built a company that today is a separate company from the resort and it's called Caribbean Homes and Exports. We build houses and furniture out of amazing Belize hardwood. And gosh, it's not how we started, but again, I had a little bit of a vision. You kind of get to the next hill, then you see a little wider picture, change your vision, get to the next hill, see a little wider vision. And the demand kept being strong and tourism kept increasing. And so we were approached by Hilton. We did not approach a brand. In fact, we made the decision early on not to affiliate with the brand because this market had never had a brand. This little island had been boutique hotels, average hotel size, 16 rooms, so no big hotels. But the Hilton Corporation came and sought us out and convinced me in about 20 minutes we ought to do it. And I got Beth on the phone and 10 minutes later, she was convinced. She flew to their headquarters after I toured them around the property. And 13 months after that, we announced to the world that we'd be part of the Hilton brand. And that's a whole another amazing story, but it's, it's, it's a scaled project for sure. And to your point, we had to figure it all out. We had to figure out sewer. We had to figure out, I mean, pretty much everything, you know, if it's not a, a fish or a coconut, then it gets imported, right? It comes from somewhere else, not this little Island. So supply chain logistics. Oh my gosh. It was a lot still is. And, and the construction was pr primarily done on the mainland and the assembly was done on the island. Yep, exactly. Beth says at the island, we don't have a construction project. We have an erection project, which always makes me giggle, but we build the, the project. We used to flat pack. Now we kind of completely manufacture the homes and bring them over on a barge. It's great that every house is on the canal. The barge literally just pulls to the back of the lot and then we lift over the, the pieces and it's just like a big Lego set, but it's extraordinary to watch. We have a house landing tomorrow. So I've got my crew out there uh, ready to take pictures because if you don't catch the two hour window, it goes from being a land or a bare piece of land with pilings to a finished structure in about two and a half hours. It's challenging because Ambergris Key is basically it's a sandbar. So how do you build, you mentioned pilings, how do you build anything that's on a, on a stable substrate? Yeah, and that is the challenge. So it's this, this is another mentality. Now, those of you in construction already understand this, but this blew my mind. I'm out there with Ken, our director of construction, and he's showing me how the pilings are going in. Pilings are all 25 feet long and they're the same length, but when they go into the ground, they're at different heights because they're going down to bedrock and that's the coral foundation of the island. And then we laser side them and now they're the right you know, length and it's at 
amazing process to Ross. But he says, Robert, where the ground is, where we're standing, doesn't mean anything to the construction of this building. This building is anchored to the bedrock and the sand can shift and move and change. And as long as, you know, we're, we're here, it's going to be either three feet or four feet or two feet above the ground level, right? Sand moves and, and water moves. I'm like, wow, the great house, even more so. Another paradigm breaker where they say that they're not making any more land. Well, all the land that you see uh, here on the left-hand side where that pool is in that great house used to be part of that big body of water. We pretty much made that land. So another paradigm to break. But yeah, it's, it's something. You know, you, you, every project, if you're new to it, it's easy to get overwhelmed. But don't. Just stick to the path. Find great mentors. Figure it out. The more, you know, they say too many chefs in the kitchen, but I don't know. I like to have a lot of, a lot of smart people around me. You can figure it out. And, and this has definitely been eight years of two steps forward, one step back. And we'll often lament that some unique issue will come up. We call them the Belize bumps. Oh, gosh, can you believe this thing happened? And we just smile and go, well, we're that much further ahead of the next person coming into the market. So, you know, you have to approach it with that constant student attitude. You never know at all. Just when you think you've seen it all, well, here comes something new. Now we're geeking out on construction, but let's take it back to syndication. The, you you couldn't just go to the, your local community bank and get a giant bank loan for this particular project. How did you finance it? Yeah, so we took a really unique approach. And what we did is because we're real estate investors first and foremost, we wanted to create an opportunity for investors to come alongside. How do you buy three hotel rooms inside of a Hilton hotel. That's a hard thing to do. Well, we created a scenario where we could do that. And this is a series of individual syndications. So we've got a couple of dozen of promoters, sponsors who go in and figure out what lot they want, what kind of units they want. They handle the raise and they go out and tell the story. And so rather than us just go get a bunch of money from a hedge fund, we said, no, let's empower a bunch of individuals to go out and kind of cut their teeth on on syndication. The average syndication here is under a million dollars. So that's pretty easy for folks to raise. We certainly help them to do that. It's not a franchise or anything like that. They got to go figure out on their own a lot of it, but they can learn. And lo and behold, we've had several people that have done three, six, 18 lots. And then we have had some people that have tried and not gotten the ball over the line, but it was a unique way to go to market and allowed us to now create this kind of army of syndicators that when we have our next phase and our next project, they're set, they're ready to go. So it's just a different way of doing it rather than us trying to do one giant $200 million syndication. We have a bunch of small promoters that go out and when they're done and they've raised capital, they don't have to worry about where their next deal is coming from. They just take another lot and go do it again. Now you, so this was funded hundred percent out of equity. You have no debt. The only debt that exists on this property comes from the Social Security Board of Belize, who again came to us, approached us, Beth and I sat in a meeting with the head of the Social Security Board who said, we have never funded a private project, but we would very much like to put some money to work with your project. We have two forms of income, the contributions from the people that work in Belize, and then we have our investments. Beth and I went, you have investments? Like, I don't know about Canada, but our Social Security Board doesn't have any assets, any investments, any of that kind of stuff. We're severely underfunded, right? But they were they were whole, they were flush, they were good, and we didn't need any money. So we politely turned them down 
and they were very insistent. So we took a loan to build the Great House building, which was going to be the last thing we built. We have an amenity budget out of each sale that goes towards building all the amenities, the Bay Club, the Beach Club, all the you know fun and games. But to build a big building like that, you had to have sold through most of the inventory to have the budget for it. And we said, well, we could do this. If you're confident in our ability to sell and what we've built so far, we could you know, borrow that into the future. Now, in hindsight, it was good to do for the relationship, but we pretty much had all the money to pay that loan back sitting in the bank the whole time. So, in fact, the, you'll, the you, construction guys, development guys love this. You know, when you get a, a, a construction loan, they don't give you all the money, right? You spend some money to do some work, and then you get reimbursed, a draw, right? And then they come out and inspect to make sure the work's been done and, and so on. So, the guy finally comes out from the Social Security Board. He's not actually from the board, but hired by them to physically inspect and making sure that we're ready to have our first draw. And the building's 90% finished. And I'm walking through, I just happened to be the guy on campus that would normally be Beth's job, but I was there. So I showed him through and he was like, wow, this is beautiful. This is amazing. Where's the building that we're financing? I said, this is the building that you're financing. And he's like, but it's already finished. And I said, well, we couldn't wait, which I thought was funny, but he wasn't laughing. He's like, how did you build it? I said, we didn't need the loan. We, We didn't, we didn't, we took the loan because it made good political sense for us to take the loan. And it was a very reasonable loan, which is kind of rare in third world countries, but, you know, government agency. And, and it was great for them. It's great for us. But other than that, though, there's no, there's no financing on any of it. That's one of the downsides to the market if you can't buy with financing, right? But the opposite side of that coin is having developed in Mexico. We started in Mexico when there was no financing. When we left Mexico eight years later, there was tons of financing and the prices all tripled because that's what financing does. Student loans make college more expensive. Car loans make cars more expensive, not less. So when do you want to get, you'd like to have leverage, but you want to get into the market after the price has gone up because of leverage or before? I love that. I love that. Well, we could probably talk well into the night. I love my conversations with Robert Helms. If you ever get the opportunity to visit Belize, and I encourage you to do so, you definitely want to check out Mahogany Bay Village, a Hilton Curio collection property. And you definitely want to connect with Robert through the Real Estate Guys radio show. He has the most amazing guests on his show. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.